We just received new numbers showing that January this year was the warmest on record. Much of the Middle East is blistering under a brutal heat wave. It was the hottest day ever recorded in the Sydney Basin. Northern 2020. India is battling a major heat wave, hotter than anywhere else on the planet. The year of COVID-19. Hottest day ever. There is the Australian bushfires. Historic proportions. Phoenix. Tumultuous Phoenix. U.S. politics. For the hottest summer ever recorded. Record glacial melting. Physically get across California. And here in Australia, a gas-fired recovery. But what if this year wasn't defined by those things? What if we left 2020 not only with a roadmap to a renewably powered, regeneratively minded economy and a sustainable future, and what if we were already on that road? A new series on the Climactic Collective Podcast Network looks at exactly that, and has answers that may surprise and delight from an area of Australia famous for extraction, emissions, and mining. Our whole kind of reason for being is to show that climate action is mainstream, that the community are hungry for it, uh, that the focus shouldn't be on individual action. That's important, like we all want to do the right thing, but I think people get um, very disheartened when they're not seeing um, leadership from our government. And if they took leadership, they would be so supported. And that's why we're there. We're there to build a constituency to show that it is mainstream and, and they would be so supported by taking action. G'day and welcome to the Clean State WA podcast. My name's Anthony James, host of the Regeneration podcast. On board with you here for this special series dedicated to our home state of Western Australia. What if we had a plan at this time of great disruption to create hundreds of thousands of jobs in energy, agriculture, building, transport, tourism and the care economy? A plan that would house and employ everyone. For us all to play a role in building back better from the coronavirus, averting climate catastrophe and transitioning to a regenerative, fair and prosperous Western Australia. The newly launched Clean State Jobs Plan has brought together industry and other partners from across the state and is directly contributing to the government's COVID-19 recovery agenda. For the urgent transitions we need are underway and there is no shortage of work to be done. So here on the Clean State Podcast, we speak with the West Australians going about achieving the plan. The thousands of jobs being created to get the work done, the success being achieved, and the enormous opportunities that await. What you've just heard is the beginning of episode one of the Clean State podcast. Mark here again from Climactic HQ in Melbourne. I've got to tell you, I'm thrilled to be bringing you a full episode of the Clean State podcast today. Before starting Climactic, I was already a big fan of podcasts and of great podcasters. Figures like Roman Mars, Ira Glass, the Kitchen Sisters, Helen Zaltzman, and right up there on that list is Anthony James. I didn't find Anthony's work on The Regeneration and before that on Rescope Radio, before starting Climactic. But I'm so glad that I did, as it showed me where the bar was set, and I'm still to this day inspired by Anthony's craft, passion, and skill. So I'm really elated that this series, The Clean State Podcast, is on the Climactic Collective, and I'm able to shortly play you an episode in full. 
please listen on to the end to hear about the other great episodes already available in the series. And find a link to the show on climactic.com.au in the show notes, so you can subscribe in your podcast app of choice and not miss out on future episodes. They can lend that money out to schools. Schools can borrow that money, pay for the infrastructure, um, and then pay that loan off back to the Department of Education once the soul is paid off. And then the department can then lend that money to another school to do the same thing, and you just get this continual rollout of solar in a, in a really affordable fashion. Like It's such a no-brainer. G'day and welcome to the Clean State WA podcast. My name's Anthony James from the Regeneration Podcast. On board with you here for this special series dedicated to our home state of Western Australia and the newly released Clean State Jobs Plan. How can we build back better from the coronavirus, avert climate catastrophe and transition to a regenerative, fair and prosperous Western Australia? I speak here with the West Australians getting it done, the thousands of jobs being created, the success being achieved and the enormous opportunities that await. The voice you heard at the top was Dr Vanessa Rowland, who you might recognise from the recent ABC TV series, Fight for Planet A. Vanessa's the co-founder with Alexander Coran of a social enterprise called Climate Clever. The team at Climate Clever has nearly doubled in recent months, even during COVID-19, working with a rapidly growing number of schools, their communities and now businesses to help them reduce emissions, save money and upskill the next generation around regenerative living. Vanessa's long dedicated her days to addressing climate change and increasing awareness about the vast benefits of sustainability. And in the wake of the extraordinary youth-led global climate strikes, it seems fitting that schools would lead the way in the energy and related transitions we so urgently need. Today, Vanessa takes us to one of the WA schools doing just that. Vanessa, we are in Fremantle, which is your home first and foremost. So let's start there. What do you love about this part of WA? Well, when I say it's my second home, because I'm originally from Melbourne, (laughs) but I moved here around 10 years ago and Fremantle is 100% my home now. Um, It's beautiful. It's Um, sunny every day, which is not really a Fremantle thing, that's a Perth thing. (laughs) Um, uh, I love the beaches in Fremantle. I love feeling close to the ocean, I guess. Um, I love the vibe of Fremantle. I feel uh, a a few years ago I was actually considering moving away to another suburb and, again, not having family here, all my family's back over east, I sort of, yeah, pictured walking around some streets of suburbs where I didn't know and I'm like, that's one of the things I love about Fremantle. It's like, it's such a community and you can walk past and be like, oh, hi, Bob the Butcher and hi. <laughs> you just sort of know everyone. It's a community. Brilliant. And yeah. we're here now at one of the schools in Frio. Can you tell us where we are and why we're here? Um, so we're sitting at John Curtin College of the Arts uh, in up on the hill in Fremantle. Um, they have been uh, one of our pilot schools from day dot. So they participated in our first, our very first pilot, which was the Low Carbon Schools Pilot Program, which we ran in 2016, 2017. They were one of 15 schools. And yeah, they've um, 
stayed with us and they've done some great things over the years. And in fact, I was so impressed with uh, one of the teachers who was leading it over the years that I ended up asking her to join our board. So she sits on our board, Peter Scorer. To place you for some people, they may have seen you on Craig Rue Castle's <laughs> show on ABC TV, Fight for Planet A. It might be worth well, telling the listeners who didn't see it or reminding those who did, the school you were shown working with, the achievements they pulled off. Yeah. They were quite something. It just run through a few. It was, yeah, no, it was quite remarkable. Uh, it was Oatlands Public School in Sydney. I think it's in Parramatta. So it was in a, a sort of slightly lower socioeconomic area. It was a very small school, very um, hot sort of heat island type suburb. And they, yeah, they managed to achieve a 30% reduction on their utility bills um, over a four month period. So they had done an amazing switch off campaign. They'd gone around the whole school. I'm just looking actually over at some chilled water fountains. And, you know, a lot of schools have these that's sitting right in the middle of the sun, you know, all through summer. So being able to turn off things like that, they made sure that their air conditioners were set to the right temperature. The kids were actually really driving it as well. They were the ones making sure everything was being enforced. Um, They found some pesky little uh, bar fridges around the school, which they turned off as well and consolidated um, the other bigger fridges, which they didn't need over the school holidays. Uh, Yeah, and they they saved, so 30% that equated to uh, $5,000 savings for them, which doesn't sound like, like much maybe for a lot of people, but for a small school, that could be their whole library budget for the year or, you know, it can fund all sorts of things. And it's just the beginning, really. It's just the beginning, yeah. And that was behaviour change. So nothing, yes. they didn't pay a cent for any upgrades or it was Infrastructure or anything. Just That's what stood out. Like, yeah, there's this great metaphor, which I actually hadn't heard before, the vampire load. Yeah. Standby yeah. power. And the fact that, what do you call it, delamping. Yeah. Like, you could just cut half the lights out. Yeah. Just straight away. It's such a great illustration yeah of what you can do just bang yeah well we one of our um high schools in in our pilot program noticed that the outdoor security lights were quite close together and when they looked at the regulations around how far they should be spaced they realized they could de-lamp every second outdoor security light because why do schools need to be lit up like fort knox (laughs) why does a why do a lot of places need to be that's true so um yeah and and the security the outdoor security lights i think for a lot of schools is something that they forget about because they're not there at, at night but those lights are actually on longer than the internal lights yeah. And this behaviour change, or even energy literacy, we could call it, yeah. it's a significant part of the what happens, pool. right? Well, yeah, that's one of the benefits, I guess, of our app is it, really, it shows really clearly what the carbon footprint's made up of, at least from the four areas that we target, which is electricity, gas, water and waste. And so many schools focus on waste, and it is important to, you know, to target. Uh, it's such a tangible thing you can do with kids, so it's, it's great. But when you look at the, um, the numbers and the graphs, like for a lot of schools, it's over 80% of their carbon footprint is from electricity. So it just shows that's the elephant in the room that really needs to be targeted and addressed. And that's where the majority of their financial savings will come from as well. It's interesting when you're talking about waste. I mean, that's waste. Yeah, well, yeah that's waste yeah. as well. Whichever waste electricity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. I guess that integrated focus is ultimately what we are after. Yeah. That all fronts, including the water, as you say. And Absolutely. The, you're developing a consciousness yeah. more broadly. And that's what you found develop out of these Yeah, and, I mean, and this is a fantastic thing about going into schools and, and teaching them young about how to be more resource efficient. They'll take that knowledge throughout life with them. And what we've been studying over the years through through the research that I've been involved with while, I've, while I was at Curtin University um, is that intergenerational change as well when they take that knowledge home and actually influence and educate their and upskill their parents around this as well. I do remember fondly the children on the show yeah. and the moment where Craig suggested that 
they should constitute government, be worthy of constituting <laughs> government, and that one of them could be worthy of prime ministerial duties <laughs> and, like a true prime minister, would take all credit. And, and the blank face, he didn't have, actually have a clue what Craig was talking about. <laughs> Why would you do that? Yeah. And the principal said in that moment, I don't know if you remember this, she said, yeah, we have good leaders here. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> and really that is mirrored in now schools that you're working, just you, let alone other people, are working with around the country. So mm. how have things changed since the show, for example? Well, um, I mean, it's only been two months or something since since, since it aired, but um, we've more than doubled our schools, um, the number of schools in our program. So that's exciting. Um, also terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's, it's wonderful. We've got schools in every single state and territory in Australia now. Um, we've got, uh, I think, eight, up to 80, I think around 80 schools now. Um, and that's a really good mix of um, primary schools and high schools, public and private. Uh, we do have, um, we had a philanthropist come on board for that uh, Fight for Planet a campaign so um, we did give away some free subscriptions to public schools in those socio-economic areas um, so we're thrilled to be working with with them and in so many diverse like really regional and um, remote communities as well there's there's always so much um, you can do and so we, we haven't we're just getting started with them which is a the next exciting part of the journey well that's part of what stands out to me so Craig mentioned in the show that there's about nine and a half thousand schools, schools in Australia yeah there's about 870 public schools alone in WA. Yeah. If you add the private ones to that, you know, speaking of the potential in WA, mm. it's a huge sack of potential. And, it, and I couldn't believe it when I saw that some of the remote schools you're mm. referring to mm. would have energy bills of up to a million dollars a year. Yeah. So we actually worked with a school up north here in WA that had, had that. And um, it's because they have, you know, they have to use a lot of air conditioning. Uh, in some cases, it's um, it's so hot that they they leave it on overnight um, as well to you know to keep the buildings cool and also to prevent um, condensation and stuff from from happening. It's yeah, and then a lot of the these more regional remote communities they they'll often use the school outside of hours for the com for community activities, so they are just you know constantly being used and energy and water and waste is 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 happening all constantly. So yeah, it's there's a huge opportunity to, when you think about it. For I'm sure you're about to go there, but with for solar, um, but. I guess something that we've, and I am a huge advocate for solar, but something that we always push is let's try and reduce before we, we go to solar because you don't want to oversize the system if you realise that you're actually wasting 30% from bad behaviour. Or it, not bad behaviour, but just not knowing what you could do That's better. right, yes. In fact, it stood out at the launch of the Clean State Jobs Plan that you mm. spoke at, mm. the First Nations presence, sort of sounding the early alarm on if there's a rush for the minerals on their country, will they see the same sort of colonial grab for more land that they've been grappling with with the fossil fuel economy? Mm. They're saying, look, let's, let's not have a repeat of those old ways. So it doesn't come from nowhere, that, yeah. that big infrastructure. It is to be really conscious of. Yeah how big you do make the system mm, and, and how it works. So in that sense, yes, the potential for schools then is largely around so massive bills, massive emissions at times mm. and, and, of course, big roof spaces. Mm. They're the centre of communities in many respects. Okay, so talk to us a little, little bit about why this excites you and, and what the potential is. Sure. Well, so my PhD was actually around decarbonising cities and regions and specifically around uh, low-carbon urban development and how we can create 
um, yeah, more sustainable cities. And and a big focus on it, this was almost 10 years ago now, but a big focus was this notion of decentralised energy hubs. And it's obviously still a big focus uh, for, well, for government, for utilities, is is to create those those hubs that can be isolated and, and you know, you can be feeding in energy. And we, we already have that in, in the form of rooftop solar. But if you start to have more sort of, uh, community-oriented sort of centres of, of energy that can feed into the grid at peak times. It's uh, yeah, schools just provide the perfect opportunity for that. They're, they are in the centre of each community. They, like you said, they have big roof spaces. Um, they generally sort of close around three thirty-four, um, and then you know people go home and uh, air conditioning start turning on. That's when you start to see a big spike or peak. Uh, so that's a perfect time for schools to be exporting their excess uh, solar generation to the grid to, to support when the community is actually starting to need it. And then, yeah. of course, you've also got all the weekends, the school holidays, where there's a, a whole bunch of extra energy um, that could be feeding into the grid. It might be a good moment to peel back for a bit and talk about the Climate Clever story because mm-hmm. it's it's an extraordinary tale of how it emerged. Can you run us briefly through it? Sure. So the idea for Climate Clever initially came back in 20... It was actually 2011 when my colleague... Dr. Samantha Hall, who was then a PhD student as I was, while we were doing our PhDs, our professor Peter Newman asked us if we would help a local high school become carbon neutral. They they had been on a journey towards um, reaching that goal for a number of years before we got involved, but um, we sort of were the icing on the cake. They're like, let's do it. Let's get certified. The federal government had a, a certification system. So Sam and I uh, helped out and, and helped them actually calculate their carbon footprint and get that all submitted. And it was South Fremantle Senior High School. They became the first carbon neutral school in Australia, which was a massive achievement back then. This was 2012. Uh, the Prime Minister even came out and celebrated. That was in the era when we were taking action on climate Which change. Which one was it? Which PM was it? <laughs> it was Julia Gillard. It was. It, yeah, I think yeah. it had to be. That's about where it stopped. I yeah, think, we've it? got a fantastic photo of her in the boys' urinals where they switched, <laughs> they switched the urinals to waterless urinals, um, one of the many things that they did at the school. And Brilliant. that was really what stuck with me because I'm like, this this is an amazing achievement. The school has saved hundreds of thousands of dollars on the utility bills over, over a number of years. Um, they dramatically reduced their environmental and carbon impact or footprint. Uh, they engaged their students in the process and they also managed to engage the community as well. And one of the things that really also really stood out for me was that they um, they approached a, a local so- solar provider. I'm not sure who approached who, but they, they struck up a little partnership where the provider said, if you can convince 25 local households to put solar on their roof, we'll donate a system to the school. And they managed to do that, you know, very simply and um, or quickly. And and I thought that's a, a fantastic example of how a school has influenced the community and benef- benefited themselves from it. Um, and, yeah, so that's what really got me triggered this notion of, wow, intergenerational change. What if we did get these kids going out and, um, you know, and, and helping to spread spread that word about how we can, you know, start to address important things like climate change. It really stands out that there were clearly a couple of dozen households there ready to do more mm. that they weren't doing at the time because it was a leap too far or perceived yeah. to be at least or yeah. and there was a way that the wheels were greased and together as a community I think there's a lot of uh, strength in that absolutely and and sometimes they just need that push to go yeah. well I'll do it to help the school <laughs> even though it's helping themselves as well and the planet and everyone else but yeah I think there's a lot That's of the straw intrinsic that, sort of yeah. desire to, yeah, to help the community and yeah so from that moment 
um, I was like, why aren't more schools doing this? This is, yeah, Sam and I were both feeling that at the time, going, this is crazy, like this is such a great opportunity. And um, we plotted and schemed and had to finish our PhDs. And <laughs> um, and then we ended up running a, a two-year pilot program several years later. So that was in um, late 2015, actually. We, we, we ended up partnering with the city of Fremantle because I was very unsuccessful in applying for research grants. I was an academic still at, at the university and, the city of Fremantle really wanted us to, to run a pilot program with their schools because the city of Frio was carbon neutral themselves. They had a low carbon community plan. It fitted in with, with everything they were doing. Um, but they, they knew my plight of not having any money and, and not being able to get these research grants. So they said, why don't you just run it through your business? We had a, another startup at the time called Simply Carbon. Um, charge the schools a fee to join the program and we'll subsidise the schools, you know, the Fremantle schools to join so that it's affordable for them as well. Um, so that was the, the start of my entrepre- our entrepreneurial journey, I guess. And I, I we, love that. I love to hear how, I guess, raw it was. Yeah. That you weren't au fait with this to start with. Oh, no. you, you just jumped in and learned on the go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the council was fantastic. We ended up saying, do you mind if we expand it beyond the city of Fremantle? And uh, they were more than happy for us to do that. They helped us get a couple more councils on board. And so we ended up with 15 schools across Metro Perth um, in, again, lots of different um, higher and lower socioeconomic areas. We had 10 primary schools and five high schools in that pilot and that's what we always refer to as our low-tech, low-cost pilot. We mm. didn't have an app or anything, but mm. um, we basically helped these 15 schools through that same process that we did with South Fremantle. But the idea was to provide it in a group context so it wasn't sort of a one-on-one consultancy-based thing. It was a, we're going to provide you with the tools and you can go off and do it yourself and we'll, we'll come together and share our learnings and um our knowledge and everything and our achievements together. So we met monthly with them as a group and we every month we went to a different school and someone would host. So it was just a, you know, a place to draw inspiration from as well. Yeah. yeah, so it was a fantastic opportunity. And then at the end of that pilot, end of 2017, we had a whole bunch of schools approaching us asking to, to join the program. And at that stage, we were like, Can't it, we cannot scale this startup with Excel spreadsheets anymore and, <laughs> <laughs> and Google Docs. So um, that's when... We did win a grant and um, launched Climate Clever in 2018 with, with the first version of the app, which has evolved immensely since then. Mm, fascinating. I remember being struck in that pilot, but I think I read somewhere that there were 600 ideas generated from the schools. And that's with the low tech. I mean, yeah. I love that. that yeah. That's with the low tech, just try stuff. We don't really know what we're doing. And the ideas were pouring out and yet largely youth-led too, yeah. as you've said already. So that's yeah. an extraordinary thing. Yeah. And the other big important stat in there is that 70% of those actions were no cost actions as well. So I think it just goes to show just how much we can do with, yeah, with very little outlay or no outlay. Yeah. So the bigger picture for WA and, and what Clean State's calling the Bright Sparks Solar Schools Program, it's a vision to at least equip our public schools in WA in this fashion, to have this sort of scheme rolled out across the state, like to imagine it across all schools in WA. And it's also true to say that it can be a sort of a, um, a rolling fund, mm. that the savings can be reinvested. It can be a net, no financial outlay. They're not even saying that. They're saying it's going to make money. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. And, and it will. Like, that's that's what is frustrating about it is that yes there are there is going to be initial financial outlay but you they're going to save so much more money when i say they you know the government will save so much more money if they do invest that 
you know, it's not insignificant, but, mm. you know, that amount up front. Um, and that's exactly what, what we're talking about with Clean State is they can lend that money out to schools. Schools can borrow that money, pay for the infrastructure um, and then pay that loan off back to the Department of Education once the soul is paid off. And then the department can then lend that money to another school to do the same thing. And you just get this continual rollout of um, of solar in a, in a really affordable fashion. Like it, it's such a no-brainer. Together with what Chantelle was saying in episode one, actually about the circularity of this, yeah. actually making sure the end of life, you know, the 20, 25 years or so yeah. of the panels, the end of life is actually factored in and those industries are coming along at the same time and in the regions for that matter, yeah. certainly in a collie, for example, potentially, yeah. but elsewhere too. And no, you start to see how it could pan out. Huge, huge opportunities. And and I, I, that, that goes also for the energy efficiency side of things. Like you could get schools you know, starting to reduce uh, and save money from inefficiencies and put, you know, some of that money as well towards the solar panels. Like I think there's, yeah, there's just so many opportunities. So many opportunities. <laughs> it's exciting. It is exciting. And I guess just to, to ground this in the need, like we're not talking about nice-to-haves either, hey. There is a, an underlying emphasis on the urgency of this. So this could play a significant part, you can imagine, in not just that swathe of territory and schools but in like you've said the leverage to the communities mm. and also some of your work it's not limited to schools right you're talking local governments and other spaces yes. give us an idea of yeah sure no well actually when you said before how, how did the fight for planet a impact us i should have mentioned there as well we did launch our um our home app in uh in march just as covid hit it was actually quite good timing for covid because everyone was all of a sudden locked yes. in their households with time some of them it, i mean it was a yes. terrible but you know yes. fortunate time to help to be able to help people to reduce their home utility bills because their bills were going up spiking. compared yeah. to you know same time last year yeah and, but that was a long time coming because as, as i said right from the start the motivation was around this notion of can we influence intergenerational change and now we have a tool that can measure it as well so the idea always was to be able to get the schools that are um, participating in the climate clever program to be able to use the home app and then we can link all that data back to the school and so the school can start to measure this is the, actually the impact we've had in the community we've helped our community reduce their carbon footprint by 20 percent or whatever it is, uh, but also to be, yeah to be able to see how many households might have put solar on the roof because you can track all the actions um, through the app as well, what people are doing. But yes, yeah, so we've had a, a huge spike in um, in household users, and and then we launched a local government partnership program early this year as well, and that's been fantastic. Um, we're seeing so many councils across Australia declaring a climate emergency and not knowing what next step to take. You know, a lot of them focus on the operations first, which is good, um, and then they start to look at the community and and go, well, how do we, you know, where do we even start with the community? So this is a fantastic platform for them to. You know, they, we give them the data back so they can start to measure what impact they're having on the or the community's having in terms of carbon reduction. Yeah. So your invitation then is to almost anybody to have a look yeah. at what you're doing <laughs> and jump in, on board in some fashion? Absolutely. So the other exciting thing is we're about to release a business version as well. That was sort of the final piece of the puzzle mm. for us. So we've got the schools, homes and businesses. So generally targeting sort of smaller businesses, but again, in the community. So that really is the whole community that you've you've sort of got covered in terms of educate them around how what a carbon footprint means and um, what their impact is and how they can actually reduce it. So, yeah, we, it is. It's an invitation to everyone to um, understand what impact you're having and how we can all make a difference. And an invitation to, because you're working to help other people step up into this sort of, these sorts of opportunities, startup opportunities, social enterprise opportunities, job opportunities, work opportunities. Yeah. There's so much to be done. It's a recurrent theme through all this, of course. You're helping other people and other women 
step up to be able to take advantage of the opportunities and help us with these transitions. So it's not you're not just asking people to come to you. You're yeah. trying to help other people yeah. step into these spaces too. Give us a sense of how that's happening for you. Well, through my role at WASEC, which is a Western Australian Social Enterprise Council, um, we're certainly trying to grow this sector to help, I guess, educate the public around the benefit of social enterprises. And I genuinely think in the future, people, consumers, will actually look and choose businesses that have that public benefit or that environmental benefit that's above and beyond a standard business just doing you know business as usual um, and there's there's so many examples of wonderful businesses that are doing that and one, one very common one that people that comes to mind is is um, who gives a crap toilet paper you know they, they donate 50 percent of their profit to building toilets and, and things in, in third world countries but that sort of you know philosophy around I'm doing business, but I'm doing business to, to make a positive impact on the world. That's certainly what we're doing. So we give 10% of our profit away to help disadvantaged communities. But we also have um, a side app called Bill Buddy. This stemmed out of a, um, a pitch I gave at Impact Seeds Pitch Night and uh, Justine Collier from Rise Network. That, so that's a not-for-profit community service organisation. She was one of the judges on the panel that night and she saw the applicability of our school app for homes, but particularly for low-income households and those experiencing financial stress. So uh, we ended up partnering together. She got a whole bunch of her not-for-profit other community organisations together and we, we won a significant Lottery West grant last year to develop up a specific um, version of our app that will be free for low-income households connected to these social service organisations. And that, you know, all these sorts of things, I think people want to support. Like it's a it's a good thing, you know, yeah. I just feel like it's a no-brainer and, and really excited to be able to sit on WASIC, um you know, board to be able to help grow this sector. We're talking to the government, we're trying to you know, talk about maybe getting a certification scheme to say, you know, what is a social enterprise? Um, so to ensure there's no social washing, you know, yeah, yes. green, greenwashing. Yeah, that's or, right. uh, you know, you, ha- you have to be a legitimate um, yeah. business, but you know, to, to really recognise this sector. So I think that's what we're trying to encourage: is everyone to do better. <laughs> Beautiful. To close, Vanessa, how would you articulate your vision? What do you see for WA? Oh, I see very big bright things yeah we have a huge opportunity here we've we've got one of the most abundant renewable energy opportunities we also have so many opportunities for manufacturing for as you mentioned before recycling of you know different waste products as well and and even creating the batteries and the clean state jobs plan just you know highlights so many of of those opportunities i think we have an amazing opportunity on our doorstep it's just going to be the political will to make it happen (laughs) That's awesome. Thanks, Vanessa. It's been terrific to speak with you. Thanks for meeting me here. Thank you so much, Anthony. That was Dr. Vanessa Rowland, co-founder and CEO of Climate Clever, on location at John Curtin College of the Arts in her hometown of Fremantle. For more on Vanessa, Climate Clever, Clean State WA, and how you can support the jobs plan or get involved with climate initiatives and other action in your community, see the links in the show notes. And of course, to hear the rest of this series, subscribe to the Clean State podcast on your favourite app or head to the Clean State website. The music you're hearing is by Selfless Orchestra, an emergence of WA musicians inspired by issues of social and environmental justice. My name's Anthony James. Thanks for listening.
Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Climactic, a special look at the Clean State podcast, a member of the Climactic Collective, the podcast network by and for Australia's climate community. Get a link to the show or find it from climactic.com.au. Just click on the Clean State show art. Thanks to Anthony James, Luke Sweet, and the whole Clean State team. Thanks to Vanessa Rowland for reaching out to Climactic months ago. We finally had you on the feed. Thanks again to Selfless Orchestra for the use of their music on the Clean State podcast, and to Tom Day for the use of his in many Climactic projects, including this episode. Stay safe and take care of each other in these Climactic times. Collective. collective.